back once again to the Coffee and Heroes and Movie A Day podcast. We're moving on to week three now, which starts January 15th, and we're continuing with our look into all of the James Bond movies. Now, week two for the Movie A Day podcast covered Sean Connery, it covered George Lazenby. Now we're going to be moving into the era of Roger Moore. So, after a week of exploring where Bond began, I thought it was time to move on to who I consider to be the definitive James Bond, Sir Roger Moore. I mostly attribute this to this being the era of Bond movies that I grew up watching the most. And the other part I put down to reading Moore's autobiography, where he stated the reason he played Bond more for comedic effect was because of the sheer ridiculousness of the character. You know, this is a crude paraphrase of what he said, but he essentially boiled it down to This is a secret agent who has known the world over. Even bartenders know his favourite drink. How could I play it any other way than larger than life? You know, this isn't going to be your stone-cold assassin of uh, movies past. But there are still some dark moments in the Mirror movies, as we will come across. But, again, having rewatched them all again now in a row, I stand by my beliefs that he is unquestionably Bond, James Bond. So we kick things off then with Live and Let Die. Such a delicate touch. Sheer magnetism, darling. When you were young and your heart was an open book. Best Bond theme song ever? I think so. This is the movie that introduced Roger Moore to the world as 007, and unlike Lazenby, he was here to stay. He was actually offered the role earlier for On Her Majesty's Secret Service. You know, he would have actually followed up Sean Connery at that point, but he couldn't actually break his TV contract for The Saint. Oh, what could have been? But I digress. Live and Let Die was unlike any Bond movie that had preceded it. There was no megalomaniac trying to take over the world, no underground layers. It had a plot concerning voodoo, black magic, drug trafficking and fortune tellers. It had 007 in New York, which was the title of an Ian Fleming short story, for the first time, specifically focusing on Harlem. Bond movies always had a way of setting themselves within what was fashionable at the time. Here they were riding the exploitation wave and had Yafat Kuro as the bad guy, Kananga. What this movie also represented was the start of the crazy stunts that Bond movies would become famous for. You know, watching the prior movies, there were always, you know, large-scale set pieces, but not really a moment where your jaw would open in amazement. I think that movement to stunt-orientated movies began here. We have speedboats making impossible jumps, as well as a double-decker bus chase, and Bond making an escape by hopping on the backs of crocodiles. All very entertaining and breathtaking stuff. Moore slips effortlessly into the role and plays it much more lighthearted than Connery ever did. But he still has a menacing streak. You know, he threatens a rogue female agent by slapping her around. He willingly takes a woman's virginity through deception, a stacked deck of cards, and has no problem exercising his license to kill. However, he injects plenty of comedy, even in the smaller moments. Classic case in point, he uses his cigar and deodorant to create a flamethrower to kill a snake. When it's dead, he simply uses the deodorant calmly and leaves the bathroom. Cool as you like. Very 007. Great Bond movie to kickstart Moore's reign and probably much better in action packed than even non-fans would remember. Which brings us on then to The Man with the Golden Gun, 1974. I mean, sir, who would pay a million dollars to have me killed? Jealous husbands, outraged chefs, humiliated tailors. The list is endless. And so to my single favourite James Bond movie. I must have seen The Man with the Golden Gun several times growing up. It seemed to be on television very regularly and I watched it from start to finish every time. Any movie for me when it comes to James Bond is only as good as its villain. 
and this one featured the best Bond villain in Scaramanga, played by Christopher Lee, a man who is every bit as deadly as 007. It had Knickknack, his faithful butler, who also led men to the island for Scaramanga to hunt. It had Maud Adams as his stunning girlfriend, and one way or another, they were all out to get Bond. I think one of the reasons that this has always been my favourite is because this is James Bond stripped down to the bare essentials. There are no major gadgets from Q Branch, there is no supervillain waiting to take over the world, just an exploration of what it means to be a legally sanctioned assassin employed by Her Majesty's government. Scaramanga is out to prove that he is the world's deadliest assassin and in the end he challenges Bond to an old-fashioned pistols at dawn style duel. Murigan slips effortlessly into the role displaying that same mixture of a ruthless streak with easygoing charm. With this movie I think he shook off the last remaining vestiges of the saint and fully became James Bond. Again there are attempts to keep up with the current trends by incorporating sequences displaying kung fu. Of course Bond doesn't display any martial arts skills but is lucky to be surrounded by allies who are proficient. And of course no review could go without a special mention to the insane corkscrew manoeuvre car stunt. I'm afraid there is no simpler way to put that, but it remains one of the best automobile stunts ever captured in film. Easiest one in the world to give my rating for? 10 out of 10. The Spy Who Loved Me, 1977. Money Penny, where's 007? He's on a mission, sir, in Austria. Well, tell him to pull out immediately. First of all, I found an absolutely amazing fan poster for this really really simple it's just a close-up of the uh the union jack parachute and it just it looks like a perfect spy novel to be honest you know taking the single greatest stunt from any james bond movie and boiling it down to a simplistic image like that is inspired you know i am of course referring to the pre-credit sequence for the spy who loved me which culminates in bond skiing over a cliff falling for what seems like minutes only to open a parachute with the union jack emblazoned on it Cue the 007 theme tune. Perfection on film. Roger Moore has often called this his favourite Bond movie. I'm of the opinion that it's a little bit overrated. Don't get me wrong, there's there's loads to enjoy here. That pre credit sequence, the underwater lotus, the introduction of Jaws. It's just that I find the movie can meander at times. You know, I think it could have benefited from trimming 10-15 minutes from the running time, which would have resulted in a more focused movie. The plot has 007 teaming up with a KGB agent to investigate how both British and Russian submarines have been hijacked, who is responsible and why. And just to complicate things, Bond had recently killed the KGB agent's lover. This is the closest Moore-Bond movie to Connery's You Only Live Twice. Instead of the space program being interfered with, here it is sea warfare. For the large volcano lair, read underwater lair. It's big, it's bombastic, it's entertaining, and it has possibly the best opening sequence of all the Bond movies, but I would rate it somewhere in the middle of the Moore years, 7 out of 10. Moonraker, 1979. My God, what's Bond doing? I think he's attempting re-entry, sir. Remember what I was saying about Bond movies trying their best to keep up with the latest trends? Well, Star Wars came out in 1977 and made a bajillion dollars. So for the 1979 Bond movie, we're better than space to send 007. It all sounds utterly ridiculous and the third act unquestionably is. However, watching Moonraker again for the first time in a while, it's clear that for the first 80% of its running time, this is actually a pretty damn awesome Bond movie. Moonraker has 007 investigating the disappearance of a spacecraft, which leads him to Hugo Drax, another Bond villain for the ages. 
He ultimately uncovers a plot to fly all the perfect human specimens, those capable of repopulating the Earth, to his space station. From there, he will wipe out the human race before returning to his private utopia. Up until the point where the final plot is revealed, it is a great Bond movie. Excellent pre-credit sequence where he is thrown out of a plane without a parachute, to a great boat chase around the canals of Venice. I'm not forgetting Jaws returns and some excellent stunt work atop of two cable cars. This also has the best Bond girl name since Pussy Galore. Are you ready for it? Here it comes, pun intended. Dr. Holly Goodhead. Classic. This is also a very light-hearted Bond movie, despite that double entendre. There's not a malicious bone in the movie's makeup. Moore is clearly enjoying himself here, and the sight of him riding a boat-slash-car hybrid through St. Mark's Square is brilliant. Keep an eye for the pigeon doing a double take. And of course, possibly the single greatest line to finish any Bond movie, which coincidentally opened this review. I think he's attempting re-entry, sir. A hell of a lot more fun than you might actually remember. 8 out of 10. From there, we move on to For Your Eyes Only. Mr. Bond, Mr. Bond, I'm so glad I caught you. Your office called. They're sending a helicopter to pick you up. Some sort of emergency. It usually is. Thank you. I came across a movie poster for this one and the movie poster itself actually caused massive controversy when it was first released. Apparently there was too much ass on show. It's essentially a poster with Roger Moore in the middle, gun pointed upwards and he's in between the legs of a a female uh, and it's shot from behind and she's holding a gun. It's amazing to think what used to be controversial given the modern world we now inhabit. Moonraker was the most successful Bond movie which is really strange, you know, given how over-the-top it was, but it was a title it would hold until GoldenEye. However, it didn't fare well with the critics, you know, they thought it was a bit too over-the-top and a bit too ridiculous. So it was back to basics for the next one. Many elements for Fear Eyes Only are lifted straight from classics, such as From Russia With Love and Thunderball. A British ship is attacked, and it sinks without a trace. On board was a highly desirable encryption device that the Russians would love to get their hands on. In the process of the ship being attacked, a Greek couple are murdered and their daughter swears revenge. Bond is dispatched to find the ship, recover the device and to stop the daughter from killing everyone along the way before he can get to the truth. This is about as realistic as James Bond movies got in the Murray era. There are some great car chases, some amazing underwater scenes, but it's all based in a heightened reality. You know, there are no trips to space in this one. There's also some very tense scenes to be enjoyed here. Bond climbing up the side of a cliff to reach the villain's base is an excellent piece of direction and editing, as are the aforementioned underwater scenes. This is a very, very solid Bond movie, and there's lots to enjoy here. 8 out of 10. Octopussy, 1983. Is he still there? You must be joking. 007 on an island populated exclusively by women. We won't see him till dawn. Octopussy is firmly back in the realm of silly bomb movies. A fake Fabergé egg is recovered by a double O agent who is killed for it. This leads Bond to Sotheby's auction house where the mysterious Camel Khan is determined to get his hands on the real egg. The purpose of his desire for the egg is never actually explained, come to think about it. This leads Bond to India and investigating the mysterious Octopussy, a jewellery smuggler and her band of sexy followers. There are links to a travelling circus. There's even a plotline involving a nuclear missile going off at said circus. The plot is a bit all over the place, to be honest. And Octopussy could better be classed as an adventure movie, as in opposed to the spy movie template we have come to know and love. 
Octopussy will always get a pass though because Roger Moore's easy charm will always carry any Bond movie to the credits and this one is filled to the brim with puns and innuendo. There are a couple of good action sequences including the tuk-tuk chase and the finale aboard a plane but by and large this is probably the weakest of the Roger Moore 007 movies. 6 out of 10. Which leads us to the last Bond movie with Roger Moore in it released in 1985 A View to a Kill. You amuse me, Mr. Bond. Well, it's not mutual. Although by his own admission, Sir Roger Moore was at least 400 years too old for the role, A Few Day Kill is a damn good Bond movie. It had Christopher Walken as a Bond villain with a megalomaniac scheme to flood Silicon Valley. Actually sounds a little bit like Goldfinger's plan to destroy Fort Knox. Then there's Grace Jones as the evil henchwoman. In Bond movies, there are often femme fatales who would seduce Bond, but there were rarely those who could take him on in a straight fight. I absolutely love the theme song as well. It's very 80s cheese, but I think it's among the best Bond tunes. But the real star here is the stunt work and action sequences. The pre-credit sequence is pretty great, with some excellent ski stunt work, although I'm not sure about the use of California Dreaming, and possibly one of the first uses of snowboarding in a movie. There's the Eiffel Tower sequence which leads to Mayday parachuting from the top of it and sailing over Paris. It's a beautiful exhilarating sequence which culminates in a car chase through Paris. And the finale aboard the airship is fantastic as well. Well edited and a fight at the top of the Golden Gate Bridge is quite original. The fact that the movie ends with Moore literally throwing in the towel to cover Q's pervy robot, don't ask, was a perfect way for him to finally hang up the Walter PPK. Again, a much better movie than you remember and a really, really solid action movie. 8 out of 10. So, to Roger Moore, I say thank you. You gave the world a totally different take on 007 and for me, it will last forever. In my eyes, you are James Bond 007. Next week, I'll be moving on to the works of Timothy Dalton and Pierce Brosnan. And we may even sneak in Daniel Craig's first movie as well. I look forward to seeing you then, guys. Until next time. Thank mm-hmm. you.